Am I going there, Luke? Am I on? Am I booming through those speakers? I sound like a BBC radio star. Most people wouldn't even know what a BBC radio star is. I'm going to go to the centre, so I'm symmetrical with all of you. I'm sure that's been bothering at least one or two people out there. First things first, he is risen. I had to have my turn as well, of course. Uh, today we've been talking a lot about faithfulness, and funnily enough, I didn't actually prearrange this with Rick, but my sermon is starting off with a question, what does true devotion look like? Devotion. You just think about that word for a moment. If we say that we are devoted to someone or devoted to something, then we're saying something pretty profound, aren't we? We're saying that this thing is going to probably consume us, compel us, encourage us. It's going to be that driving force in our, in our world, in our lives. So what does that look like? What does devotion look like? Because people are devoted to all sorts of things, aren't they? Devoted to their fitness. Sometimes they're devoted to a cause, and it might well be a noble cause. Sometimes they're really devoted to evil. You can be fully devoted to something evil. Um, But what I want us to do today on Easter Sunday, on this probably the most important day on the Christian calendar, is just ask ourselves, what does my devotion look like? If you were to take away all the words, take away the pretense, take it all away now, before the Lord God, before the Lord Jesus Christ, what does your devotion look like? Easter Sunday is spectacular and magnificent because of the Lord Jesus Christ who is risen indeed. We just said it, risen indeed. But what does our devotion look like? Does it look like songs? Does it look like the people that we hang out with? Does it look like our clothes, our riches, our whatever? What what does it look like? And so it was a strange kind of, I guess, conflation today of what does devotion look like and the Commander's Reserve, which is a spin-off from our mega-series, which you can go back and have a look at. I'm not actually going to preach too long today. Uh, and this Commander's Reserve idea will come out again in the future because it's just, it's just a rich source of inspiration for me. Um, but the Commander's Reserve is the title of my sermon today, and I wanted to introduce you to it. I know there's at least one other military person out there today. So in Duntroon, where we learned how to be an army officer, we were taught about this concept, the Commander's Reserve, and as an Army Aviation Officer, it became even more important because we're often involved in being the Commander's Reserve. So what is the Commander's Reserve? Well, in tactics, normally above brigade level, so we're talking thousands of troops, uh, up to division, even up to corps, the Commander would have a reserve. He would have his own personal force. So you can imagine the brigades, the divisions are all split up into different sections. Even in the Bible, we see that, Commanders of hundreds and thousands and so forth. So they would all be split up. But So if you're the, the brigade commander or the divisional commander, you, you probably didn't, ne- never even saw the private or the trooper or the bombardier at the front line. Okay? But the commander's reserve could have been made up of a bunch of different privates and troopers who were dedicated personally to the commander. Now, they weren't his bodyguard as such, but what they were, uh, particularly in combat when something unexpected happened, the commander was quickly able to take his commander's reserve and take it to that critical part of the battle. And so that critical part of the battle might have been something that was occurring that was dangerous to the mission objectives. And so in would go the commander's reserve. So you might see the, the sudden arrival of more enemy troops. Boom, send in the commander's reserve. 
you know, maybe your own troops are starting to flag or weaken in a certain area, boom, send in the commander's reserve. So these uh, reserve, commander's reserve troops were used to dealing with in, you know, big odds, going in when it, where the battle was the hottest, not giving up. So essentially when all other options had failed or were failing, when hope was beginning to fail, when it looked like victory might be snatched away, when defeat, death and suffering were looming large, send in the commander's reserve. Um, now, if you were to describe the personal characteristics of the commander's reserve, you could probably do it in alliterating terms. We like a bit of alliteration. They were devoted, they were determined, and they were dependable. But I want you to mark this really well. Those last two, they are a subset of devotion. If you're devoted to a cause, if you're devoted to a person, if you're part of the commander's reserve, even in the thickest part of the battle, in the heat of battle, because you are devoted to your commanding officer and to his cause, and perhaps to his country's cause, which is also your cause, that makes you a very formidable foe. That makes you determined. And that makes you dependable. So when the commander turns around to his troops and to his commander's reserve and he says, go, they go. They're dependable. They're determined. They're devoted. That is how we could describe the commander's reserve. And I've seen, uh, I've seen this kind of come together in the Bible. As you know, I read the Bible a lot. I, I'm, I'm in it all the time. And I keep seeing these concepts leap out and kind of match what I've had in my own military experience, but also in my own kind of individual experience. And if we now say that the commander's reserve, the characteristics are devoted, determined, uh, dependable, then we can see that actually throughout the Bible, there's this concept of the commander's reserve. Now, I'm not going to build a big doctrine on it or anything, but I think you know where I'm going. Basically, when other people's devotion is failing, when other people's determination is faltering, when other people's dependableness is fading into fear or apathy, in the Bible, in goes the commander's reserve. God has had his commander's reserve throughout history. He's always had someone. We just, we just started learning. Remember, um, who, who was it that walked with God in amongst all that evil? Enoch, Enoch a commander's reserve. In, send him in. Then we're told that Noah walked with God. A commander's reserve. Devoted, determined, dependable. So what we're going to do today, just very quickly, is we're going to look at two of my favourite commander's reserve people. Um, one has recently been supplanted as my favourite, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So we're going to look at those two. And I just want you to, again, hold it up as a mirror. The Word of God is a mirror. Hold it up and go... What does my devotion look like? And I don't want this to be on Easter Sunday, a legalistic, well, let's look at these people. Now you be like them. This is not what this is about, okay? But nonetheless, deep down in our hearts, we have to understand that our devotion is often contaminated by a whole bunch of other things. And so on Easter Sunday, in the face of literally the risen Lord Jesus, I want us just to let that light from the risen Lord Jesus just come in and penetrate. This morning, I went for a run and I was treated to a progressive revelation of the sun. It was dark initially. You could see nothing really initially. That was still in bed at that point. Uh, you could see nothing. There's no detail, nothing. Then I uh, pulled myself together. I fed our new puppy. I headed out. I whispered in the window, he's risen. And I heard this, he's risen indeed. <laughs> I went out. And I ran up South Street, 
uh, towards Picnic Point, and the sun was slowly rising, but as we often get here in Toowoomba, there was clouds. Nothing but clouds. It was a city, clouds, power lines. But then the, the light started to break through. Little glimmers. And as the little glimmers came through, I could start to see more and more detail, more and more contours of the street. Colour started to come in. And as I got to the top, as I crested South Street and I looked out over the horizon, boom, the sun in full brilliance broke through the clouds. Now, if any time before that, if I had said I had experienced the sun, I would have been lying. I experienced a lot of it. I experienced the detail, the colour creeping in. But until the clouds parted, I had not fully experienced the sun. You see what I'm saying here? We're like that, aren't we? We're waiting for the full revelation of the sun, of the Son of God. We think we know him. Maybe we do in a, in a little way, but we have not yet seen that when the clouds break apart you know, in our lives, um, and, and we stop seeing, you know, sort of in this sort of through a glass darkly kind of way. We're not yet there where we see the full revelation. So as I go through, this is what this is about. This is that we might see Jesus more clearly. And I do have to challenge us. And I challenge myself to say, what does my devotion look like? So I've just put this up here. Here's some Bible, Bible knowledge for you. As surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord, the King lives, Wherever my Lord the King may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. That's devotion, right? That's just words. That's just words. Where are they from? Does anyone know? It's a harder question. He's not one of the big characters in the Bible. He remains relatively obscure, and unless you're reading the Bible constantly and comprehensively, you'll miss him every time because you'll be focused on who he serves. Who he serves is David. Just gave a hint. He serves David. So I'll I'll read the full excerpt to you. It's a guy named Ittai. Now, Ittai was part of David's personal guard. He was a part of David's commander's reserve, 600 men. What's really interesting about Ittai is he was not an Israelite. He was a Philistine. (laughs) Did you know a Philistine was in charge of David's commander's reserve? The Bible is so full of color. Hey, we we make it boring because we... No offence to the pictures that were put up, but like, you know, when we see pasty white pictures that someone has done their best to create, often it creates this sort of false reality of who Jesus is, who these characters of the Bible were. But when you get into the word, you see this full three-dimensional earthy grittiness of who people in the Bible were and who God is. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Let me just read about Ittai. So David has just been kicked out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom. He has lost his power. He has lost his prestige. He has even given and will give Ittai a reason to leave him. Everyone else just about is leaving him. And here we pick up it here in 2 Samuel. A messenger came and he told David, the hearts of the men of of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all these officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord, the king chooses. Okay, and I'll just keep moving through. All these men marched out with David and all the 600 Gittites, so these are Philistines, who accompanied him from Gath, March from the, before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, who's in charge of these guys, why should you come along with us? Go back, stay with King Absalom. Isn't it interesting? David's already calling him King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday. And today, 
Shall I make you wander about with us when I don't know where I'm going? Go back and take your countrymen. Many may kindness and faithfulness be with you. So David just gave him an out. Why would you want to hang around with a defeated king? It's the same in today. You, know, you see so many stars and celebrities and, and, and powerful people that have all these other people that hang around them because they're attracted to power and prestige. But when the power and the prestige is gone, where, suddenly all the friends disappear. Not Ittai. Ittai replies to the king, as surely as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. So he is saying to David, if you march into death, if you march into an ambush by your son Absalom and his forces, I don't care. I'll die with you there. That's what devotion looks like in a military context. And David said to Ittai, go ahead, march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on with all his men and the families that were with him. The whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley. And all the people moved on towards the desert. Does anyone know what is in the Kidron Valley on the other side of the Kidron Valley? A little bit of Bible geography. Gethsemane. King David, in his defeat, in his humility, like kicked out of Jerusalem, goes straight past the Garden of Gethsemane, up the other side. As we know, one day, his descendant, the Lord Jesus, would one day be kneeling in that very garden, praying. Praying to his father, saying, if, if it is your will, take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. It's such a picture. And you think to yourself, David still had his 600 Philistine bodyguard soldiers, commanders reserve at stadium. Who did Jesus have? What happened in Gethsemane? They all fell asleep. There was no Ittai for Jesus. There was no 600 men to protect and to stand and fall with him. And we know the story, don't we? That's why we're here on Sunday. I'm so glad it's Sunday. But let's just cast our mind back to Friday. All the temple guard comes to Jesus and what happens? No one to stand for him. They all depart and they leave and they flee into the night and Jesus is handcuffed. Yeah, if, if they'd have tried to do that to King David, those guys, they, they, were, they were ferocious warriors. They would have like stepped in in an instant and they would have like gone down fighting. And who did Jesus have? And Jesus could have called his own commander's reserve. He could have called down legions, legions. This is just one of many reasons we love the Lord Jesus. But for now, we're looking at Ittai. He was devoted. He was determined. He was dependable. Now, a little confession. As I said before, Ittai was probably my favorite commander's reservist, but he's been supplanted. Let's do it this way again. Let's see if you can guess who it might be, who they've been supplanted by. This person has recently become known as the 13th Apostle. (laughs) It's very interesting. Now, I'm not a Catholic myself, but I do love my Catholic brothers and sisters and particularly like this Pope. Pope Francis declared a feast day in this person's honour for June 22nd in 2016. Anyone see it on the news? Of course not, because you didn't get the Vatican news, did you? You were Channel 7 or listening to the panel or something. 
You should listen to the Vatican news. You'll find more stuff out. <laughs> no, nah, you don't have to listen to the Vatican. Um, this 2016 decree, according to the Catholic Church, of which there are like 1.2 billion people, by the way, put this person on a par with the liturgical celebrations of the male apostles. That's why they were nicknamed the 13th apostle, because uh, up to this time, feast days were generally only for the apostles and Mary, uh, or the mother of Jesus. So this person, beg your pardon, you got it, Mary of Magdala. Mary of Magdala, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, okay? Now, we don't need to get into all that kind of, um, you know, Catholics versus Protestant stuff, but simply to say, when we look at Mary, and I have looked at her in great detail, and it sort of harkens back, I guess, to my Bring Back the Wonder Woman series, but she was, she was, to my mind, the ultimate commander's reservist. When everyone else had fled, when everyone else had gone and left the Lord Jesus, Send in the commander's reserve. <laughs> she didn't leave. She didn't leave. These words, I have seen the Lord, the full verse is Mary Magdalene, which is simply Mary of Magdala. Magdala was the place that she was from. It was a fishing village in the Sea of Galilee. She went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. She didn't have an invisible jet or a golden lasso or you know, bullet-defeating bracelets. But man, she was a wonder woman, hey? And she has supplanted Itai because Itai had 600 men with him. She didn't. She didn't. And anyway, let's just read a bit about her, okay? Now, the thing about her is, if I was to describe the word of her devotion that demonstrates her devotion, it's near. It's just near. She was near her Lord, and she refused to leave. So in Luke 8, we're told that after Jesus had travelled about from one town and a village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. And we're told she was a group of women that were helping to support Jesus out of their own means. So Jesus has gone out. He's preached the kingdom parables. He's healed people. Mary Magdalene's been one of those people in the crowd. He has prayed for her. She has been up till that time tortured by seven demons, seven supernatural beings that have possessed her soul. And I can tell you, it would not have been a pleasant thing. He has spoken the word. They have scurried away. They have never come back. And she is forever changed. She is a redeemed woman. She loves the Lord Jesus. Whatever she was doing before, we're not told. But from then on, she gives it all up. And she starts following Jesus and she's actually doing the tough work. So while the disciples are out there preaching, you know, when Jesus sends out the 12 and the 72, she's one of the ones that are cooking. She's one of the ones that are trying to gather some food, trying to go to villages to get some food together. She's doing it day in, day out. Over and over again. We're not sure for how long, probably at least months, maybe even years. On and on and on. And finally, you know, as we saw on Good Friday, we come to the cross and we are told by John, who knew Jesus very well, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, another Mary, and Mary of Magdala. Everyone else has left. She is near. Now, now think for a moment for a woman who, who all she knows of Jesus is just kindness. Now, she would have seen Jesus when he went up against the Pharisees, and he would, she would have seen that sternness, 
that power. But over and over again, Mary has seen Jesus heal, serve, love. And now, I mean, can you imagine looking at someone you really love? Maybe it's your dad, your, your boyfriend, your, you know, even your wife or your sister up on a cross. Come on. You know, oh, the atrocity of that. You would be, oh. And you would be so fearful as well because all the soldiers are around you. No wonder the disciples ran. No wonder the disciples didn't want to be there. Only one was there, John. And even he is soon to leave. But Mary of Magdala, she stays. Devoted, determined, dependable. And then, as evening approaches, as we're told in Matthew, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, himself a a hidden disciple of Jesus, goes to Pilate. He asks for Jesus' body. Pilate orders it to be given to him. Joseph takes the body, wraps it in a clean linen cloth and places it in his own new tomb that had cut out of the rock. He rolls a big stone in front of the entrance and he goes away. So the way these tombs were designed was you would have a little bit of a ledge, a downward incline with a very large boulder so that when you rolled it, you could push it downhill. It would then go into a little cavity. It would roll, go clunk and be in place. So you could actually get it into place quite easily, but to get it out again, you need a lot of people. Okay? So we are told that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So think about this. It's starting to get towards night. What a horrific day for Mary. It's time for her to go to bed. Just go home, Mary. No, like near. She will not leave her Lord. If you want to know what devotion looks like, Here's what it looks like, because everything circumstantially, everything physically is telling her it's all over. This Messiah is dead, crucified, tortured. So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they're they're just sitting there in the darkness. Now, you know, you see those TV shows or you see on the news, the body sometimes being carted away from some disaster. And you just think, wow, who, who is that person? You know, they're wrapped up. That's what they see. They see Jesus, the one they love, being carried into the tomb. And it's getting dark and they're still there. Where are all the disciples? Where's John? Even he's gone now. They're so devoted. She is so devoted. There's absolute desolation in that place. They just see the stone falling in a place with a clunk. And then just quiet, just deathly quiet. Terrible. Um, you know, Mary of Magdala, devoted, determined, dependable. When Jesus had no one else, when he'd lost his popularity, his power, his prestige, his honour, you know, when he would have stared through eyes caked with sweat and blood, the blurry vision he would have seen would have been of Mary and the other Mary. And because she is near, even in his death. Now, there must be some spark of, you said, Jesus, you were going to rise again. (laughs) There's got to be. uh, This is incredible to me. I cannot comprehend it. I cannot understand it. But I will stay near you because you said you will rise. There's got to be some of that, you know. And if you read and put together all the gospel accounts and build a chronology, you will see that that tomb becomes peak hour. Like the, The ladies are actually going back and forth. 
numerous times. They're probably all through Saturday. Well, it's a Sabbath. They're not allowed to travel. But afterwards, they're going back and forth, back and forth. Um, You can put that together and you'll see what I mean. But early on the first day of the week, while it's still dark, Mary of Magdala went to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, it's still dark. She ran through the dark, guys. Have you tried running in the dark? No torches back then. She is, like, excited. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. In her mind, she's still thinking through the physicality of his death. It's like, okay, someone's taken his body. That's the most logical explanation. So Peter and the other disciple, they start for the tomb. They're both running. I love that scene. The other disciple, that's probably John, outruns Peter. He reaches the tomb. He bends over. He looks in. What does he see? Strips of linen. Just strips of linen lying there, as well as a burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth's now folded up, separate from the linen. Finally, the other other disciple, Peter, he's probably a bit more chubby. He uh, reaches the tomb. He goes inside. He sees and he believes. But where was he? Only Mary of Magdala was there the whole time. Only Mary of Magdala got to announce the glorious news of the resurrection. And Jesus could have shown up right then to Peter and John. Because back in those days, men are far more reliable than women in terms of truth and truth-telling and you know, being an honourable and respectable witness. So Jesus could have shown up then, but who does he show up to? Mary stands outside the tomb crying, near, near to her Lord again, or at least where she thought he was. As she wept, she bends over, you know, something inside her goes, look inside the tomb. She looks inside the tomb, what does she see? Two majestic, three-dimensional, no, no, multi-dimensional beings called angels sitting there glowing <laughs> radiantly. Um, and they go, why are you crying? Because <laughs> they're already in on the kind of, they're, they're, they're on the inside of the story, they know. Why are you crying? And she says, well, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put them. And then she turns around. So just imagine this scene, right? Because you're looking inside a tomb It's a hole in the ground. It's a place of death and decay. And there's probably stench from other tombs nearby. The cross isn't too far away, Golgotha. There's still those two criminals hanging on there, probably hanging up there. And she's looking in the tomb. She's upset. She sees these glowing beings. And then she turns around and what does she see? Well, she sees a man. We know it's Jesus because we're in on the story. She's not. And there's something about Jesus that's so radically different. His body is now redeemed, resurrected. It's a, it's a spiritual body. So it's, it's still physical and touchy. You can touch it or he'll eat later and, and so forth. But he's not a ghost, but he's, he's got this super body now. The old body has died, been resurrected. He's, our, he's the first one. We look to him as our older brother. That's the kind of body that we'll have later on. And then he says, <laughs> same thing. I, I think God really enjoys um, not not a, being a, a joke so much, but like having the inside story and then slowly revealing it in a surprising kind of way. I think if you're a story writer, you'll know what I mean. Because when you write stories, that's what you're after. You know, that's progressive revelation, the plot unfolding to that bang. You don't do it too quick because if you do it too quick, it doesn't have the same effect. And so he says, well, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And she still thinks, I don't know. Is this the gardener? And she goes, look, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. <laughs> what was she going to do, <laughs> really? But she loves him so much that she's still prepared to go and lug that body back to where it belongs. Oh, unbelievable. Jesus said to her, Mary, he calls her by name. 
She turns to him and she cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognizes him in that moment. And then he says, you know, go to my brothers, tell them I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the gospel. I have seen the Lord. And well could she say, I have seen the Lord. She could have said, I have seen the Lord speak to demons, seven of them, inner demons that I never saw again. I have seen the Lord walking these roads, these city roads. I've seen him teach, encourage, correct, rebuke. I've seen the Lord eat the food I prepared for him. I've seen the Lord raise a dead girl. I've seen the Lord send out the 12, feed the 5,000. I've seen the apostles argue even at the Last Supper about who is the greatest. I've seen the Lord bring a child amongst them and say, this is how to be great in the kingdom. I've seen the Lord tell his parables, the crowds then following him, then shortly thereafter jeering, cursing, mocking. I've seen the murderous glint in the leadership's eyes. I've seen the mock trial. I've seen the betrayer Judas. I've seen the denier Peter and all the disciples desert my Lord. And yes, I have seen the Lord. I've seen him nailed through the hands and the feet, the crown of thorns. I've felt the wood slippery with blood and heard the cries, heard the sobs, the moans. Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And then it is finished. I have seen the Lord. Have we seen the Lord? Have we seen the sun just break through in all his glory? You know, if I could pick anyone that I wanted to sit down with and have a meal and have a beer or a coffee, it would be with Kerry, Mary Magdala. And I look forward in the kingdom of God to sitting with her because she's got, she's got the best story, hey? <laughs> she's seen it all. You, you really want to know what's going on with Jesus and the disciples? I wouldn't necessarily ask Peter or John. They could tell me. I would ask her. What a unique perspective. What a wonderful blessing to be the first gospel preacher. Literally, the first gospel preacher because she gets to bring the resurrection. And now she says, I have seen the Lord... In the garden, I've seen the Lord alive. He is risen. That was your cue. He is risen. You weren't with me. <laughs> he is risen. He's risen indeed. That's what true devotion looks like. Hey, now I'm going to finish off in about two minutes. And I'm simply going to do this. If a, a guy like Ittai could be devoted to someone like David, who we know was so flawed, really, adulterer, murderer, etc., but was a man who pursued God nonetheless. There's many things we can learn from him. But if Ittai was prepared to lay his down life, lay down his life for that guy, well, how much more the Lord Jesus, right? Now, if Mary was so determined, so dependable, so devoted, you don't look to Mary to go, well, how do I get that devotion? You can see it. You actually look to the source of her devotion, which is what? Tell me, please. The Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> The guy that went up the hill for her. She, he went up the hill for her. And, and when he comes out of that tomb, he can truly say, go and tell my brothers. Tell my brothers. Because he has redeemed. He has redeemed the whole world. And all the whole world needs to do now is just bend the knee to him, repent of their sin, trust in him, which is allegiance, not just a weird mystical thing. It's you literally pledge your allegiance now to be near Jesus, no matter what. Like Mary Magdala was, even when circumstances are yelling at you. No, 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 this is no, this is no true God. 
just a fairy tale. No, even when circumstances are yelling at you, no, I will be near my God. That's what true devotion looks like. That's what faith looks like. That's what the commander's reserve look like. And I finish off now with this very simple verse. And, and I actually mean this. When I die, just put Adrian, well, you can debate whether you want to put the C part because I don't have a middle name on my birth certificate, but Adrian C. Park, compelled by the love of Christ. Just put that. Seriously, because there is nothing else. Look, I've had this discussion with so many people that are not Christians, that are Christians. It is not about your devotion to doctrines, or devotion to being at church all the time, devotion to good works, devotion to songs. It's just not about that. It's not about that. It's about your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a, a deep phrase. The love of Christ compels us because he inspires us. But because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus dwelling with us now, it's also in us waiting to burst out. (laughs) Yes, sometimes we get in the way of that. That's why we need to keep coming back to the word and coming back to an openness and a humility to say, Lord, Lord, that love, bring that love. When I feel annoyed, when I feel that you're grading me to that person, Lord, bring that love. The love of Christ compels us. That is what it'll look like to be a part of the fellowship of the burning heart.